possibly um, do better coordination. And often that comes down to a human relationship. Um, when um, you know this person and you know this person's work, uh, again, it becomes down to human level. So then you understand better, you communicate better, you talk more often, then you don't necessarily need to go through um, a stringent process, but rather it's something is more fluid and natural. So somehow, in my view, y y your openness, I mean, our openness, all of our openness to too eager to know what you are doing and how I can better contribute to your missions, which in the end become a very good mission to myself as well. That sort of uh, spirit is something um, I guess it's important. And I, I believe with the technology in some ways, thanks to what we have gone through over the past years, things become rather um, uh, fluid. I, I would say we can communicate with each other anytime. We don't necessarily need to meet in person. So I would say there are positive uh, things that we have learned over the past years of this uh, pandemic situation. You're listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My dad has had big conversations with other people around the world and here in Geneva. He loves it and he's all crazy about it. Remember to have fun listening to it. The Rodolfo Rivas Project. Hello, and thank you for listening. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. My guest on this occasion is Dr. Dr. Yoon Young Lee, Legal Affairs Officer at the World Trade Organization. Yoon has been working at the WTO for over 14 years, with a stint at the International Trade Center, ITC, and previously, previously at UNDP. Dr. Yoon is a national from Korea, and as she tells it, even though she's been away from Korea for a long time, she still longs for going back. In our conversation, you talks about how her studies brought her to Switzerland and eventually to the WTO through an internship program. She has always been curious and this has led her to explore working across various divisions at the WTO, including accessions and currently trade and environment. Through this, this journey, it is clear she has formed a holistic view of the organization. She's had experience teaching, which she has found rewarding, as she has also learned a lot from her students. Lastly, Dr. Yoon was the first ever second D of the WTO to the ITC, which she tells us opened her eyes to the potential of further collaboration. Yoon has had an impressive career as an international civil servant, and her devotion to her work and constant improvement was refreshing. It was a pleasure talking to her, and our conversation flew by. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Stick around. Please let us know by liking, subscribing, and or review if you enjoyed this conversation. It really helps. The Rodolfo Rivas project keeps growing and we have great plans. Spreading the word is greatly appreciated. The more, the merrier. The Rodolfo Rivas project is available on all major platforms or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. The views, thoughts, and opinion expressed here belong to the individuals sharing them and do not necessarily represent the views of their employer. June. Good afternoon. Thank Good afternoon. You for, thank you for accepting my invitation as a guest in my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's really my big honor to be here <laughs> with you. Well, and also we are in a in an incredible room that actually I don't think I've ever been in here before. Mm -hmm. It's a very beautiful room, actually, right? Um, 
used to be used more for everybody yeah. secretarial meetings. It, yes. I can't imagine like all the things that were discussed here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but it's also not far away from your office. That's right. Um, it's on the third floor. We are having the very nice view of the lake, Geneva Lake. We are fortunate to have our building here just next to Geneva Lake. <laughs> That's right. June, uh, I mean, you are you're from Korea. Mm -hmm. how, how was life growing up in Korea? Well, that's a very good question, which makes me think right away now. Um, I would say I had a very, uh, looking back, I had a very dynamic um, childhood and youth up to the time that I left Korea for my study. Um, At what age did you leave? 20, I think early 20. <laughs> uh, yeah, early 20. So it's been a while that I've been away. Um, as you probably know, Korea has gone through a lot of um, historical moments that we can talk about within a geopolitical context, whatnot. Um, I guess one very distinctive thing that I could say about myself within that context is that I, my parents, my grandparents at the time were born in the part of North Korea. Oh. And, and many of our Korean population do have such a history in our very close family history. You know, the family history really becomes aligned with our country history. And I guess that's in some ways a sorrows, in some ways happiness. And I guess that makes our identity as a Korean. Me per se, um, I went through very dynamic economic growth of Korea. Yeah. In Actually, the 80s. That's like one of the, like the success stories about right. uh, like development in Korea. That's right. And if you may ask how come we did that so, I would really think education, it's education. is the um, um, you know, driving force for each family, for kids to be receiving this fantastic education as much as possible. So I was one of the... Um, um, recipient of a good Korean education system and also trying to link myself to the context of the country where obviously we are divided, but that also gives you some sort of visionary motivations for your future education or future work that you want to strive for. So. Talking about Korea and home, I do miss home. I do miss my own country, especially the dynamism of the country and that um, the culture and the warmth of the people that always I feel we were very um, social in a sense that we want to help each other. That's the values I really uh, appreciate a lot from my own country. But when you were growing up, well, like in the middle of all of this, like the economic growth and also the fact that what you mentioned with North Korea, how how aware were you about all of this going on when you were growing up? Was it something that was discussed like at the dinner table or in school or how how was this? Very good question. Now that I'm also a mother of a kid, um, looking back, um, I can relate myself to my parents. It's, it's not necessarily easy to talk about, in some ways, big themes with your uh, younger kid, 
But if your family is within, let's say, the situation, your grandparents were born in northern part of Korea at the time, and obviously we don't necessarily have the contact with their own cousins anymore because they now live the other side of Korea. Um, I think it's very natural that you talk about it. It's something embedded in you. You grow up with it, some sort of um, almost natural. <laughs> but then, of course, when you start learning about your own country's histories and also learn about others' histories in world history, you think about why and the rationales and what, what kind of impact does it have on me. So I, I would say it's, it's really the part of the life, but not necessarily as, as something bad, mm. if we look at the, the division, but rather something what, in my case, I'm talking about my case, what I can contribute to the current situation. I guess that was also the reason why I opted for studying uh, something international, something from then on boiled down to international trade law and policy because I truly believe that, still believe that trade is an engine for any nation's development. Also in this case of Korean Peninsula, right? And um, when you had this idea of maybe I'll focus on this, was this exclusively because of your own views or was it also something that maybe was passed on by your parents? I consider I had uh, pretty my own views. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think not necessarily a certain person shaped me. I would say it's a set of people around me, whether it's parents or uh, professors. In Korea, we have a very strong, good relationship between student and professor in university. They all, in a way, shaped my thinking, not necessarily directing me to do what or what not, but more um, influenced me, let's say. But in the end, the decision was mine. Good. I mean, yes, I think that you, and also maybe some of the things, maybe you were growing up and you were experiencing them, but were shaping your mind. Mm -hmm. And... Um, when you decided to go, you, you are a lawyer, right? That's right, yeah. You decided to go to law school? What was the... So in, in um, my case, for, um, how do we call undergraduate, I did a double majors on Chinese and Arabic languages and literatures. So it's, it's a similar education system as in the US, undergrad and then... Actually, in my time, no, but now, yes. <laughs> so uh, recently, I th not necessarily recently, I think 10 years ago or so, uh, Korean um, legal system is more aligned with, let's say, American system. But I'm, I'm prior to that system. Uh, I, in my case, I did love uh, regional studies. I liked the specificity of the country and the region. And I looked at um, five UN languages, and I wanted to choose one of the most difficult languages out of those five. So I chose Arabic and Chinese. How do you speak Arabic? Uh, I read Arabic, <laughs> but I don't necessarily speak Arabic these days. <laughs> yes. So I did um, uh, Arabic and Chinese literature and regional studies. Then um, toward the end of the university, I somehow 
had a realization that I wanted to use a language as a tool, but not necessarily as the end goal. Mm -hmm. um, but as a linguistic person, I was very um, interested in, I guess, the legal anal analysis and legal reasoning, because I believe legal reasonings and you know some sort of curiosity in words, terminology, they really go aligned very well. So toward the end of the university, I got interested in international law and looked um, at several um, you know, segments of international law. And I was fascinated by trade law and the related policy because, again, going back to our earlier opening, that, um, for example, uh, within the Korean Peninsula context, I thought trade could be a good tool for our unification. Mm. So I decided to study further on trade issues. So you can see that there's like a, a running thread from there until now. So this is pretty much like your dream job. That's right. <laughs> that's very right. I, that's really very right. And I'm, I'm very blessed and very lucky um, for me to be able to pursue my dream job. Um, Dream job can also give you um, many ups and downs, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> and I, I believe that within um, this dream job where I am now, I learned so much for the past 16 years, and I know that I will learn even more for the remainder of the my time here. And I feel that right now I'm in a very critical juncture probably in between the two, and shape myself um, going forward even further on this, these dreams that I've been having. Um, for me, place is not necessarily the end goal I felt, and this is something I often share with uh, youngsters and uh, new generations coming up. I feel like the, the kind of... Um, I don't know how to call it. It could be a vision, it could be your dream, it could be your hope. As long as that is aligned with your own values, wherever I am, I feel like I'm in a dream place and in a dream job situation. So for the moment, this is my dream place. I, I believe so. And I'm excited for any new challenges going forward. And when you were, when you were finishing uh, law school, this, um, how did you envision your way because now you are the WTO, but when you were there, was, was that the, the end goal? Or how did you go about it? From school time yes. to the career time, let's yeah. say. <laughs> mm. Because this is something that I get asked like all the time. That's right. I also um, get many questions on that. And I believe every person has different way. And there is no right or wrong way also. In my case, when I studied in Korea, I felt I'm studying international trade law and I am in Korea with a lot of support and full equipped um, technologies and all whatnot. But at the same time, I felt I wanted to experience that so-called internationality of this topic. So there was a small desire on that. And, and to be honest, my professors actually did not approve my thought. They, they thought I should stay in Korea and pursue my PhD over there. 
and follow the academic career that they wanted me to do. Wait, what's the, what was uh, the argument on that? I guess I, I, I guess I, I, I'm just guessing. <laughs> we are not necessarily direct people when it comes down to such a question. I don't necessarily ask to my professor, but I'm just guessing that he wanted me to pursue that track uh, rather closer to him so that I can be very useful. I'm just guessing. Um, so I, I, I wanted to try a small one-year gap to try um, master's degree abroad, although it was my second master. So I went to Bern, focusing on um, studying international trade and law and economics, which was very much focused on issues around World Trade Organization, where I am. So, I mean, that's probably one of the best places where you can you can go to study trade because it's also like really close to WTO and it's like hands-on. So I can see how that like put you in the direction to come here. That's right, yeah. So after that, I started an internship of three months and that three months never ended over there <laughs> and it went on up to now because I realized that the practicality of, of the work that I could make in a trade-related organizations, that was something excited me a lot. And that was something I never necessarily learned from textbooks. Yeah. And that reality and pragmatism was something uh, made me, let's say, feel like alive, that I finally understand what were said in, in my textbooks. It's true. I could relate it the theory, or even the case studies we learn, it was not necessarily real unless I experienced it myself. So uh, that enthusiasm made me stay up to now, I've, I believe. But at that early, at those early days, were you, were you still thinking, uh, maybe I'll go back to Korea? Or you were like, okay, I'm here. Those thinkings are something I never know how to decide on, even now. <laughs> I think those thinkings are come and go in, in combinations and in, in, in certain contexts or at certain moments. For example, now that uh, we are experiencing COVID era, I really do miss home very much and I really want to go back and contribute myself even more than I have felt before. Um, there is always this dream that I want to be close to home. I want to be in um, Asia. I'm very Asian in many, many ways. Uh, I do miss the continent. Um, at the same time, I feel there are still a lot of learning curves that I need to go through to be fully contributor for the continent and my own country. So um, that debate, I'm sure it will continue. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it also happens to me. I guess to some people it's stronger than other. And regarding your experience at the WTO, so you you came here through an internship, is that what you said? First, yes, that's right. And then how was the process from there to becoming part of the staff? Right. Um, <coughs> as an intern, um, so I'm talking about uh, my internship back in 2005. I believe... Um, I was just so into this notion of the fact that I'm at the best place 
I needed to learn every day so much as far as I can. And I wanted to perform. That performance spirit was very strong for me. And I wanted to um, satisfy my own expectation. And I met so many nice people who recognized my desire and who helped me along the road. I have so many people to thank for. So with their help and, and guidance, so many mentors, I realized that this could be a good place for me indeed to contribute myself to. And at the time, I believe there were not, not as many as Asians, let's say, than, mm. than now. Um, so I, I felt some sort of responsibility that I'm not representing, of course, any one particular single country, but I may uh, represent some sort of culture, some sort of uh, region. So I needed to be super better <laughs> than any way I can. Yeah. Um, so that desire, I think, was a driving force for me to be good. I mean, good enough. That was a uh, uh, driving force for me to be on the okay track, <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I, so it was through an internship because usually when people ask me how is the best way to get into an international organization like the WTO, mm -hmm. I tell them that through an internship. Yeah, I think that's the best occasion because you yourself feel and experience what kind of work we do. How can you um, uh, assist all the values of this organization? And it's hands-on experience. Yeah. And Again, it's like a yeah. Process of getting to know the organization. That's right. And the organization also gets to know no, you. Exactly. Yeah. And after internship, of course, I I didn't continue here. Uh, I went uh, to uh, another international organization, which does some initiative work of trade. It was UNDP, focusing on Central Asia and Eastern European countries. So I was in Slovakia. And that was also a very interesting experience and helpful for me to some sort of share notes between what I had learned, how I worked at the WTO, uh, and comparing that with the UNDP other organizations' experience. So that made me some sort of informed desire that I wanted to, to uh, work again with the WTO. And I was continuously uh, tuned in for such an opportunity. And I went through a competitive um, process, which everybody here does go through. Yeah, that's how I, I got, we say, so-called um, a contract, not internship. So since that is in 2007. And since then, I've been constantly working here. And uh, well, I want to get back to that about other organizations. Um, because I understand that you worked also, you were on secondment in another organization. That's right. But before that, like I, I want to talk a bit about where the areas that you've worked in the WTO, because you've been uh, yeah. in different divisions. Right. I was very fortunate to start my experience at the WTO with um, we call Council and TNC Division, mm -hmm. Trade Negotiations Committee Division. Then I um, started working at trade policies review division, especially focusing on regional trade agreements. 
then I moved to accessions division, um, whereby I uh, contributed for nine years. And right now, recently, I joined trade and environment division. So I've been for been experiencing four different divisions so far. Is that something that is common, like uh, staff going through different divisions? Mm, I don't know whether. I could explain this as something common or not common. I guess it's how, from my perspective, how one individual crafts mm -hmm. what this, 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 let's say, this person want to pursue. In my case, I'm just focusing on my case, I wanted to experience trade issues from various angles from various perspectives. So it was like something that you actively see? I think so. Mm. Yes, I believe so. Um, trade itself, as you know, as you've been experiencing as a practitioner, it's a very diversified area. Yeah. Actually, many people think that if you work in trade, you know everything. And uh, you don't, because if you specialize on something, right. like you know that. But right. there's complete areas that you know a bit, but you are not. Right, 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 you. right. And I guess that's in some way beauty of trade. Yeah. And I, I, for me personally, I really like that, that various angles that we can experience to touch people's heart in various ways. <laughs> uh, I hope I'm not saying too in a grand way, but that's really something I pursue. I, I, I think trade, again, going back to probably my familyhood, um, you know, the, the Korean situation that I wanted to learn about trade within the context of our unification. Um, for example, accessions issue. Those are a lot about nation building. Start from oftentimes from the scratch. You want to really build up your country based on best practices. There are, um, you know, aligned within the multilateral trading system transparency, inclusivity, all these nice words. In the end, it's all about people, right? So I wanted to experience, if ever possible, different parts of the organization through that prism. And I, I, I'm very grateful um, for the people who nurtured me in that way and who motivated me um, to grow in such a way. And I, I still have a lot to do more. Uh, that's why going back to your question um, about going back to home or being here, I still feel some ways that I wanted to learn many different things. And one of those that I thought very particularly felt was trade and environment sustainability, how trade can be a tool for achieving the word sustainability. I always like anything to do with trade plus issues. Mm. I love the nexus. That's why I also wrote my PhD on trade and culture issue. So this 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 um, place where I am now, um, I feel um, it's an important mission I need to go through. And what have you learned from your seeing different aspects of the organization, from the organization, like from a holistic point of view? Is there anything that you perhaps... Right. I, there are so many things that I, I've learned. Um, one thing is this organization, the Secretariat, is fabulous uh, with 
a brilliant people and brilliant minds. I think that is a big asset for us. Mm. I hope we can uh, serve the members even better with our institutional brilliance. <laughs> uh, also, obviously, to tackle um, new context of the world, if we may say so. Uh, something I, I hope this is evolving. We are not static. We are evolving, and I think we are very flexible in 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 from the secretary point of view. We are eager. Um, to serve for goodness for the members. I think that, that that spirit is very clear. That's something in any division I went to that was a clearly I felt. And I think that's the holistic strength of the secretariat. Also, if I may, um, we sometimes, and that's still my struggle, personal struggle, we may know um, trade policies, we may do this on a daily basis, right? But we may not necessarily fully link this policy with people. What's happening exactly on the ground? How trade policies can be very useful to them? Do they feel so or do they know so? Um, that linkage the policy word here in Geneva and the reality on the ground, that is something I really want to have a less gap going forward, even for better policies and better life. And that is one reason why I, I was very interested in uh, being seconded to ITC, I guess. Um, I couldn't be too dramatic, drastic, uh, leaving Geneva to go somewhere else, uh, very exotic because I have my family here and child, so within my uh, compound, I needed to find a way that I could learn how to be more close to, closer, much closer to a people's policy, let's say. Yeah, and that is maybe something holistically going forward, what I personally would like to see more from the system. I think that, uh, well, I'm interested in hearing your views because you've also been in, in another organization uh, before that. I think that some of the concerns that people outside here have is that sometimes there's overlap in work that, that all the organizations do. How, how, was, how was your experience in that regard? Is there, is there a way to perhaps collaborate more efficiently to avoid uh, those areas of overlaps? Or is that, is that not really the case? There's not overlaps. I don't know what... Uh... I think um, just a, as a way of life, <laughs> I feel like a um, certain extent of overlap could be there um, naturally sometimes without knowing sometimes or without meaning in a, in a less positive way. So within my very limited experience, collaboration and communication have been the key to possibly um, do better coordination. And often that comes down to a human relationship. Um, when um, you know this person and you know this person's work, uh, again, it becomes down to human level. So then you understand better, you communicate better, you talk more often, 
then you don't necessarily need to go through um, a stringent process, but rather it's something is more fluid and natural. So somehow, in my view, y y your openness, I mean, our openness, all of our openness to to eager to know what you are doing and how I can better contribute to your missions, which in the end become a very good mission to myself as well. That sort of uh, spirit is something um, I guess it's important. And I, I believe with the technology in some ways, thanks to what we have gone through over the past years, things become rather um, uh, fluid. I, I would say we can communicate with each other anytime. We don't necessarily need to meet in person. So I would say there are positive uh, things that we have learned over the past years of this uh, pandemic situation. Um, I found a um, small call with other agencies in any part of the world very um, flexibly made. We are all the servants in those organizations are very collaborative and collegial. So this overlap sometimes maybe in some ways unnecessarily emphasized. Maybe I, I'm very lucky to just experience uh, goodwills uh, so far. But the key maybe is something that we can be open and, and embracing others with uh, good intention. This is what you're talking about. It's more on a, on a personal basis. Mm -hmm. and I think that also the fact that many organizations are here in Geneva mm -hmm. makes it easier for those personal exchanges. That's right. But like more from the institutional perspective, mm -hmm. um, how do you think that we can minimize those overlaps? Right. Maybe within my recent experience when um, I was in the ITC, I was very surprised to know what ITC actually was doing <laughs> within my uh, probably a very um, good ignorance. Although um, WTO and UNCTA, we are so-called parental organization to ITC, I was learning so many new things over there that ITC was doing so great and that could be uh, nicely fed into our work here in the WTO, for example. And it could be my own ignorance, but maybe it would be nice for um, having a small working group amongst the staff between the two organizations to see some synergies between the two, um, not necessarily political level, but more technical level, that we learn from each other, I think that would already reduce some unnecessary overlaps. And maybe going forward, some sort of um, rather s slightly established, not necessarily ad hoc, uh, established a human resource-based collaboration. Because again, for me, person, the people is very important. Unless this person does explain, uh, experience it's sometimes very vague. You can't concretize the ideas, right? So some sort of established um, staff exchanges or um, some sort of that direction I would love to see. Um, then I think um, we could also feel 
a way forward for less overlapping yeah, as actually, well. I must admit that I've actually I've worked a couple of times with IGC, but I I wouldn't say that I know precisely what they do like on a right basis. right. You are indeed um, practitioner. You are in the mission, and and for members, it would be so interesting to hear what kind of project stories they create are. Uh, uh, can be impactful on our policy decision-making here in the WTO. Mm, I also wanted to hear a bit about your... because when you were studying uh, law, you, you you pursued your PhD and you, you got your PhD. Right. Was your intention to become an academic or was it just to specialize on a topic? Yeah, so that's uh, my <coughs> painful story, actually. <laughs> mm. When I, um, when I started uh, my work at the WTO in 2007, I was already enrolled in the PhD. And at that time, I needed to obviously um, excel my work as a beginner of, of a staff in an organization. I needed to focus on my work. So... My PhD study was rather less priority for me at that point in time. But increasingly, I felt that I wanted to have a certain thing that I can control myself. Work, probably, there were certain degree of things that I couldn't control on the work. So it was a balancing act that I needed to create and certain thing I want to control myself using my own brain <laughs> on research. So the desire was already there to pursue and finalize my PhD and finalization was a, quite a challenge because I was 100% working. So there was a period of time that I needed to wake up at 4 a.m. I'm not a morning person at all. But within my 24-hour calculation, if I don't invest my early morning time, I will never finish my PhD. It was a very simple calculation and it was very painful because I'm not good at waking up early. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I soon realized when I just started doing that, waking up early morning, and starting with the prayers and, and, and focusing myself into this topic, of my PhD, I realized 30 minutes I spend in the early morning works as like three hours in the, in the afternoon. Yeah, actually, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm not a morning person either, but when I was starting my MBA, I woke up early. Right. And half an hour in the morning, right. like three hours. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I had that very intensive one year, um, which if, if I needed to do it again, I'm, I don't think I would be able to do. Uh, but I, I managed at the time and I embraced it because I didn't have any other choice. Yeah. So I did the PhD, finalized it. I didn't have any intention at all, actually. I wanted to finish something I started. That was my intention. So it was just because you started, you have to go through it. I have it. to go through it. I want to have a full stop on this. Um, that was my intention. Having said that, I'm very glad that I... I did that because I wouldn't say PhD is an end goal at all. That 
still, but still gave me the basis of me comforting myself to say I can do my independent research. I have the experience, I have the structure, I can continue. Um, so that gave me some sort of, let's say, self-license. Um, now that uh, when I engage with a young generation on this particular you know, trade topics, I have more stories to say, I guess. I, I have my own experiences that I went through to share. So that, I think that, that experience and the process um, that are very useful for me to share with more audience. But I, I was also asking because I've seen that you, you've also, part of your work you've also dedicated to teaching. Mm -hmm. So I think, I could be very wrong, teaching we can do without PhD as well, I think, but, but I could be very wrong. Why do I teach? It's not because, that I, I, because I got the PhD, no. I teach because I love engaging with, with new generations upcoming. I, I love the nurturing process. Um, it's not that I'm good at that, but I really thoroughly enjoy sh sharing, bouncing ideas. And when I'm in the class, I question a lot. <laughs> in some ways, a very un-Korean. Um, and I do question because I care about them. So that way, I mean, also maybe because it's also because it comes from my own experience. Korean education, at least in my time, I was told not to question. I was told to listen well to professors and teachers and memorize. I wasn't probably good at that. So now that I'm free to do the way I want to, um, and because I know how important it is to have a critical thinking, even if you don't agree with that person, or even if you don't like the, that subject, that skills to go into the deeper analysis of a certain thing, even if it sounds very stupid, it's a very good question, right? So I encourage a lot of questioning. And, and, and that way I also learn a lot from others. Yeah, I think it's a two-way process. Right, uh, exactly. You learn also from the new generations? And you're inspired by the new generation. Absolutely, absolutely. The way of thinking, the way of approaches. Um, I'm rejuvenated after yeah. <laughs> the time. Yeah, because sometimes like on your day-to-day -day work, you maybe become a bit jaded. Right. The whole thing. right. And then when you see the new generations, you're like re-energized. That's right, that's yeah. right. So it's, it's a very important part of my, my time, yes. And I think you, you mentioned that your PhD was on trade and culture. Mm -hmm. and I just want to mention because I think that Korea has always been really influential, maybe in the region in terms culturally. Mm -hmm. But now, like, even in the world, like with things like Squid Game and yes. K-pop. Yes. But I've been, I've been enjoying Korean films for 20 years. Right. But it took a while, I think, for them to become mainstream, which now... They have and they show the, the power of, of culture and how it can influence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's your take on this? If we limit our thing on Korean culture, <laughs> uh, I think Korean culture, from my perspective, is very deep. 
and it can be also very light. And I think the back and forth between the deep, deepness and the lightness, I think that seems to be appealing to the world now. And also the walking across those two pillars probably touches upon many different cultures and many different cultures in some ways can relate to us, to Korean culture. So maybe that's one thing um, um, that I feel, that, that's just what I feel. But I, by the way, I, I didn't finish a squid game <laughs> because for me it was very somehow from episode number one, I felt a bit violent. Mm. <laughs> so I, I, I am not yet to finishing those uh, yet, but I would love to. Uh, I need to have some courage to finish this one. <laughs> um, on trade and culture, especially on my topic that I worked so many years ago, so I feel like I need to tune my brain to that a little bit. I felt, again, trade can be a very good tool for cultural promotion. That was my just my, at the time, idea. Uh, when I... Looking back again, maybe I may feel in a slightly different way possible. But again, trade, my notion was a trade is a very essential tool for positive cultural sharing. From that perspective, I wanted to see the different arguments on the nexus between trade and culture. And for me, important thing, again, boiled down as collaboration use trade as a good collaboration for different cultural products. Uh, so basically uh, that made me to do some research on that. And I also want to hear your thoughts on, I mean, I think that the pandemic really highlighted some of the weak and, and also strengths of international organizations, but focusing more on, on the WTO, what do you think that the next few months or years are gonna look like based on what happened in the last past two years. How do you think we're gonna the WTO and the membership at large? What do you think we are gonna be doing based on those lessons that we learned? It's a very big question. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very difficult question. Um, within my limited experience, actually, I saw the brightness of the possibilities. What I felt was extremely amazing was the connection between the Geneva and the capitals. Closeness. Um, thanks to technology, um, you know, capital-based officials were able to tune in for our regular work uh, meetings and other meetings. I found it, maybe it's something we may say simple or we may take it for granted. But, you know, when you look at the number of participants on, on a meeting, it's like tripled in my view or maybe even more. That already shows the power of this house uh, becoming a truly worldwide platform for any discussion. So I think this is something good. I want to focus on something good for now. And, and that is something we could cherish more possibly going forward. It really shows the possibility. And I hope, because thanks to that possibility, um, officials 
here in Geneva and officials over there in capitals also were able to understand each other better. Um, maybe in certain cases we didn't need to write um, a lengthy <laughs> report. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I read. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made us closer. <coughs> That's how I felt. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that was something that was already happening before. Mm. Pandemic, but with the pandemic, like it really opened the door to like accept acceptance to all of these means exactly. that were not was not really accepted. Exactly. And it also, so in that sense, I think that it enriched our work, mm -hmm. but it also highlighted, like, the importance of like, physical contact. And, That's like, right. Being here, which is why we're doing this podcast, like, in person, because That's right. it's not the same. That's right. One thing I miss, uh, I guess, is um, reception. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can relate to each other even more. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't think I appreciate them during the time, but now that they're not here, like, I miss them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And that is also perhaps another thing that I think what you were talking about, like, that personal connection to understand, like, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because there's probably m many different ways where collaboration can be enhanced. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't really do it because we're not aware of it. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um... Well, it has been really great talking to you. Is there anything else that maybe you want to say that we, maybe we didn't cover? <laughs> I think it was a great... Uh, it went very fast. Yeah, it went really fast. <laughs> it, it really went fast. And uh, thank you so very much um, for this opportunity. Uh, I guess um, you reached out to me to, to show... A such an ordinary person no, is no, no. also uh, working for um, World Trade Organization, and, and the idea is to really encourage um, the anybody can, let's say, dream about, and that's something I would really want to emphasize. And me coming from very far away, I often realize that uh, students far away they may think it's something very impossible, something very distant but it's not that anybody can really contribute to the work the values what we do here at the world trade organization if somehow i have emphasized that message during our talk today i'm very happy i really want to st stress that um, everyone's path is very unique and i hope i just uh, shed a little light on that with my own story so that the audience can enjoy. Thank you. I, I certainly did. Thank you very much, you. Thank you so much. This was the World for Rivas project. I hope you loved it. Can you dig it?